an actual uh, regular reading pattern, and God just began to give me some understanding about our fellowship and what we are doing and what we're a part of, which is a great thing. And I appreciate the message this morning that challenges us to take God's message and declare it. Praise God. Uh, let's fix this clock so they don't flick the lights on me. I'm lost. Praise God. God is good. I want to uh, speak this morning on the importance of having a warrior be your leader. People that don't believe that we need warriors are fools. They're under the delusion that this world is a perfect place and how can anyone live in our world and have that delusion? And so, being that the world is what it is, the only way that you are going to properly negotiate the battles of life is to have leadership that can fight. Does that make sense? Because it, it's different. If everything was absolutely wonderful and there was no such thing as sin, and everybody was caring and forgiving and nobody wanted to rip anybody off, we wouldn't need any of this, would we? But in the world we live in, it demands powerful leadership that can fight. I uh, remember the words of William Travis. William Travis was the commander of the Alamo that uh, made an appeal to Sam Houston in 1836 uh, during the Texas Revolution, made a, an appeal to Sam Houston to send backup troops. Sam Houston decided that uh, the Alamo at that time wasn't uh, uh, that strategic and so he refused to send the troops. But uh, they were already in a place where they, there was no turning back, and the story says that, Sam, that rather William Travis took the 120-something guys that were there defending the Alamo, and he drew a line in the sand, and he asked them to either stand with him or stand on the other side. And these words were written by him before that. He said, if I must die, May my scabbard be empty and my sword be red with blood of those who would deny freedom. Here's a guy who said, listen folks, it's time to fight. And sometimes you have to, you, you have to stand up. There's just no other, nothing else you can do. And the amazing thing about this story is only all of the 120 something guys there only one got on his horse and fled. He's probably the guy who told the story later, you know. But you th I thought about that and I said, what made these men stay? I'll tell you what made these men stay. A warrior made them stay. They saw this and they said, that is what life is about. There are things in life that matter and sometimes that means sacrifice. Sometimes that means that I'm going to uh, hazard my own well-being because this is what life's about. I want to talk about a great warrior in the scripture named Jephthah. In Jephthah chapter, Judges chapter 11, about Jephthah. Jephthah was, the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. 
So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commanders so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us and to fight the Ammonites and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. I want to take this simple story to, to, to make some, some uh, a very basic point about revival in our generation. The first thing I want to look at this morning is the illegitimacy assault that was upon Jephthah's life. The very uh, few verses of scripture I read today the first thing that jumps out at you is that Jephthah, from the very beginning, was separated by his family from the inheritance because they said, you, Jephthah, are illegitimate. You have no place. You are invalid. We do not recognize what, who you are and what you, what you mean to us. And they separated him from the rest of the family. Friend, this is a powerful picture of revival right here. This is how every revival in history has worked. It's when God puts his hand on a man and he gives a man a vision like Pastor Foley was preaching on Monday night. He gives them a unique touch, a unique call, a unique vision. And as this person, because they don't have the fanfare, because they don't have the contacts, because they may not be in the center of what is popular and what is happening, someone is going to declare that vision illegitimate and invalid. And in fact, just like Jesus said in John chapter 4, you must needs go through Samaria. I'm telling you, friend, every revival must needs go through cult scaria. In other words... Somebody is going to stretch your, their hand out. They're going to say, you are invalid. You did not come up through our political ranks. You were not uh, the endorsed uh, 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 candidate that uh, the group here would, have, would have, have risen up. We decided that this person is supposed to be the anointed one. We've decided that this guy is the one that has the skills or the one that moves people. You are illegitimate. We pray for revival all the time. God, give us revival. You know what the truth of the matter is? We don't even know what we're asking for. Friend, we are not asking merely... We're not asking for big churches. We're not asking for cathedrals. We're not asking for popularity. God, help us. We are not asking for Christian TV shows. What we are asking for is revival. Revival means spiritual renewal. We are asking that God would stretch forth His hand and that He would break the power and the curse of sin over people's lives. This message will never be popular. This message will never be acceptable. It will always fly in the face of exactly what the world is doing. And people are going to call it illegitimate. One of the great prophecies of the last days is that many false prophets would arise. And these false prophets would be given power from hell to deceive many. I want you to understand, friend, we are seeing this manifest in our generation. And this is twofold. We understand the false doctrine side of this. 
And so the, the church, the evangelical church is well aware of this and will stand up and identify false doctrine and that is good and right. But I want you to know there's another side to this strategy from hell and that is to raise up false prophets, not just to to speak false doctrine, but to misrepresent the gospel. And it's these that deceive many, like uh, like Jim Jones, David Koresh, or what have you. They, they are risen up from hell to get people to feel smug about being, uh, about being uh, sinners, to get people to feel smug because they do not honor God and they do not go to church. And there's a deceiving spirit in these people to drive them away from serving God. They are false prophets, but they have, they have a reverse effect. I live in San Francisco, and while I've been there, I was able to hear some real interesting inside news about the Jim Jones travesty. Jim Jones had a church in San Francisco. San Francisco is a strange place. You probably figured that out by now. And um, this, I, I heard... Uh, um, uh, an ex-reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle 20 years ago, he was on the radio, and what they did uh, last year, 1999, many people staged a demonstration outside the San Francisco Chronicle associated with the Jim Jones tragedy, and there's a reason they did that. It's funny how the national media didn't pick that up, but you get, you know, three dykes hugging a tree, and that would be on the front page of every newspaper across the country. But there was a group of people that were associated with this travesty. One of them was a, a, one of the, uh, the senior reporters for the San Francisco Chronicle at the time that wanted to expose Jim Jones as a phony. Not as a preacher as such, but as a political operative of socialists and many Democrats in the city. Our current mayor, Willie Brown, was working firsthand with Jim Jones. Jim Jones was guaranteeing him at this time he was in the California Assembly, he was guaranteeing him several thousand votes every election. With that, in this uh, um, expose, they reported that Jimmy Carter gave Jim Jones a citation for all the work that he had done for him during those years. Jim Jones was not a preacher of the gospel. It was a bizarre socialist experiment. They had a sister church in Oakland that was run by the Black Panthers. They stood up. They did not preach the gospel. They did not preach about God. They preached socialist psychobabble. But this is the great, this is the great assault. When this man finally manifested as this demon-possessed maniac, not only did they cover up who he really was, they painted a picture and they spun the story to America and the world that this guy was somewhat of a Pentecostal preacher that went wayward. We're talking about a wicked, demonic uh, 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 attack against the gospel that was especially orchestrated to stave off the revival, I believe, the revival of the 60s and the early 70s. And the devil is loosed with false prophets, and you'd be surprised how many people, anytime someone uses the word cult, they freak out, they, they recoil, they step back, and they say, I don't think I can do this, but I want you to know this is part and partial. You are illegitimate, they told Jephthah. You're not real. As I said, every great revival has been told this. You know, the Salvation Army, today I know it's old clothes, but once upon a time they were bearing testimony in the worst parts of London. 
They were so unpopular as William Booth and his little band talking about these guys were the first rappers, you know what I mean? His band, they would go down the street banging drums and people would save their bedpans. You know, they didn't have, uh, you know, running water and sewage in those days. They would save their bedpans and pour them out the window to mock what these people were doing. And the whole line is, you are not legitimate. You are not real, friend. And the real difficult part of this is to see that, that this whole attitude, the man-pleasing attitude within the church of Jesus Christ will react to this, will, will walk lockstep with these wicked accusations that come from hell against revival. Jesus told the Pharisees, woe unto you, Matthew 23:13. he says, you shut up the kingdom of God in men's faces and you, won't, you yourself aren't even entering in. You better understand there's something very real about revival and about being a Christian. There is, we were talking about this last night at dinner. There is a false church. There is a false spirit. There is a demon that will stand in the way and will tell you any lie that will derail you. From a real experience with God. Try to get you to, to back off your real experience with God. And so a lot of the uh, power of the unity movement today is to make you feel like if you don't walk lockstep, you're, you're, you're out there. You're a separatist, we are told. I remember in New Mexico, I, you know, I felt the pressure. And so they were staging um, a special uh, um, outreach. They called it an outreach at uh, the university, New Mexico Highlands University. And they asked us to participate with the other Christian groups in town. We said, fine, no problem. But I did tell our, our skit team leader, we're going to do what we do. We're not going to... If we do it in a music scene, we're going to do it there. We're not going to temper our message. And so... His name is Aaron Montoya. He's a, a pastor down in the fellowship. Aaron, he went above and beyond the call of duty. It just so happened that it was National Condom Week. <laughs> and so we had just seen a video with Josh McDowell explaining how the condom was ineffective against certain things like, uh, you know, how, how often it fails, perhaps, you know, against the AIDS virus, uh, against, you know... Uh, Pregnancy, etc. He, he, he ran it down against certain diseases, and he. It was actually very interesting. Certain diseases versus the the uh, uh, the pores in a condom. It's fascinating stuff. It's some real minute detail stuff. But anyway, Aaron staged this illustrated sermon that was called Condom Man. Now this is a this is at a university campus. These people, are, I, I took several classes there, they would grab condoms and they'd throw them on your, the table sometimes. Hey, anybody want condoms? So I knew where we were at. And so, you know, he had this hilarious skit. He came out as condom man. He had this big rubber thing pulled over his head. And he fought the sperm cell, you know what I mean? And he fought the AIDS. We had people dressed up like the AIDS virus and they came out. And uh, actually... You should have seen this, this, the many students there at the time. It was in the student center. I mean, they were like, their eyes were open. <laughs> and it was so easy to preach at the end of that, is that this is what's happening to you, that trust in the condom. And in fact, I, I, I talked to several students after that that were like, hey, that was pretty cool, man. But the Christians didn't feel the same way. 
I want you to know that I got a number of phone calls from these various people that were absolutely offended. They, you know, one guy even said, I think it's a sin to mention condoms in public. You know, we're Christians now. And I mean, just bizarre and totally, uh, uh, um, you know, weak attitudes about everything. Because God, you know, it's, it, what, we're not, what we're saying here this, this morning is that, you know, we're not trying to be separatists, but we have a vision, we have a call, we have a purpose, and unfortunately, many people who do not want to stand up and do things for God are going to recoil, and they're going to hate you because you do as such. And you better understand something, you're going to be called illegitimate. said, Jephthah, you don't, you know, you don't, you, you, you're, you don't even belong here, man. I remember um, Brother Shambach. We, we, when we were a newcomer, we'd run out of church and listen to Brother Shambach on the radio. But he said something funny uh, about lies. He said, people used to ask, Brother Shambach, when I get saved, does that mean I have to give up my friends? Brother Shambach said, no, because if you really get saved, your friends will give up you. <laughs> In other words, you make a stand for what's right. And inevitably, you are going to find yourself at cross-purposes with a lot of stuff. And so here's Jephthah. And Jephthah is assaulted as illegitimate. And yet we see that God was preparing a mighty warrior, ironically, for the very people that were driving him away. Which is my second point this morning, which is those of us, listen to me, who stand up to assault will inadvertently become warriors. And it said from the very beginning that Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. And uh, to understand why he was a mighty warrior, you must you, you have to see the rest of this story. Because Jephthah had to live in, a, in such a mode that survival was at the top of his list. Emotionally, as a young man, he had to fight these mind battles. He had to go through certain things. Uh, I'm in San Francisco. God gave us our first, uh, a new, really, man convert. His name is Henry Luna. Henry Luna, he has, his nickname on the streets there is Henry Lunatic. He's from the uh, Mission District in San Francisco. This guy has done hard time. Seven years in uh, San Quentin. Uh, he's been around. He, he, he has, uh, um, I mean, we're talking about a, a, a guy who's been hardened. And I begin to hear his story as, because when he was young, it was total survival. From the age of nine, ten years old, it created a hardness in his life. We, we were preaching on 16th Street Mission there one day. And this well-dressed man comes up out of the subway. And he sees him. And he, he walks up to, to Henry. And he, oh, he actually walks up to me and says, is that Henry Luna? And I thought, this guy was probably a lawyer or former prosecutor or something. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you mean this guy? Yeah, that's Henry. He goes, Henry Luna as a lunatic? And I said, that's him. And so he begins to tell me the story. He said, I'm a producer. We were filming a television show in the 80s back on Alcatraz Island, and we needed some ex-convicts to play a certain role. It was like a flashback. It was a television show. And he said, so Henry was one of our, um, he was one of our actors that we, you know, extras that we had there. 
But we failed to tell these guys that they had to spend the night on Alcatraz. And so they were very upset, but most of them were putting up with it. He said, but this Henry guy came up to me and told me he'd throw me in the bay and feed me to the sharks if I didn't get him off this island. He goes, how could I ever forget him? <laughs> but there's a reason why. I know God brought that man because you need a fighter. God said, this guy's a fighter and you're going to scrap. You're in the belly of the beast and you're going to scrap. And you need someone who, who, can, who can, uh, um, can go to task. And see, God had a plan for Jephthah. See, what they didn't realize is that one of these days, the Gileadites were going to need him. And God has, in his powerful uh, uh, overview of life, God has a way of separating people from the mainstream in order to preserve them from all the destructive influences working in that group. Jephthah's brothers were back at the palace. They were no doubt, uh, uh, um, you know, in ease and convenience. They had the best of everything, whatever was available at the time. And at the time, in peacetime, how many know that looks real good? I got a disturbing thought for some of you about our fellowship. I've been in fellowship 20 years, got saved in it. And that is this. We are not the most appealing peacetime army. That makes sense. We're not. In other words, people look at us, and, and you know, we don't have the great cathedrals, and we don't have you know uh, uh, the, the wonderful uh, uh, trappings of the religious world. And during peacetime, I'd much rather be at the palace. But see, there was going to come a time when the Gileadites needed a warrior. And see, God's plan is to separate people out of that mainstream that is so corrupting out of the popularity contest. And out in the boonies, God is able to train for Himself and equip warriors that are going to be equal to the challenges before them. Some of you don't even understand what God is doing with us. God is preparing. He is molding. He is shaping. And there is a much bigger picture. Friend, I don't care what, uh, what, what somebody might say. We stand for Jesus Christ and we are an extension of His church and that heritage in the earth. And one of these, it may not be understood right now, there will be other people that back in the palace that think they know it all and have it all together and have the, the most well-known speakers and the best musicians and the recording artists but there's going to come a time when the church of Jesus Christ needs a warrior. And I guarantee you, they're going to find somebody that can pray and somebody that can cast out devils, somebody that can heal the sick, somebody that can stand up for Jesus. All throughout the scripture, God separated men, took them out. He took Moses out. Moses, get out of Egypt. Because if I don't get you out of Egypt, you're going to go through life thinking you're all that. Got him out of Egypt. Get out of here. Even the Israelites didn't like him anymore. This is, this is the story of Joseph. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. And uh, Joseph probably at certain times in his life wrote off his brothers. I don't care if I ever see any of those guys ever again. He probably looked in the mirror many times and said, I'm not a Jew. I'm an Egyptian. See, God had a bigger plan than that. And in the right time, Joseph was strategically placed. 
to be a, to be the, a deliverer for Israel, for God's people, for the house of Jacob. Paul was very unpopular in the early church. You read his writings. He said, I fought off the beast of Ephesus. He's not talking about the feminazis. He's talking about the people in the church. And so he said, you know, he had to defend himself. You are my epistles, he wrote, to be known and read of all men. You know, that, that's a scripture that we use for holiness. But you know what he was doing? He was defending himself against the assault that, Paul, you're illegitimate. You're not a real apostle. This is not, you're not, you know, your influence is negative. And they were saying, Paul, can you give us a little bit more credentials here? About, okay, God, you say God spoke to you. Paul says, man, you know God spoke to me because look at you. You're saved. That ought to be a pretty good endorsement right there. But you're no longer insane. You know, one of the things that we lack in our generation, about we lack a terrible understanding, we terribly lack a proper understanding of manhood. Back in the day, back in the day, a man had to prove himself. I was uh, on the... Um, subway the other day and I noticed you know they have those advertisements and it was like one of these non-violence commissions that, that are there and they had a picture of a little boy about to sock another little boy and the, and, and the, the um, caption said you have nothing to prove and I thought about that and I said that's not true When I was a kid, man, I, and I'm not even claiming, or I'm not. Gonna, nobody challenged me to a fight afterwards. But my dad used to make us fight each other because that was his generation. You know, we start whining. My brother's picking on me. My dad would say, "Okay, man," and he had a pair of boxing gloves, and he'd get him out of the storage room, and he said, "One minute, you can't quit. One minute." And, you know, most people, they don't, you, know, you fight, you, you know, you see the, you know, a movie and you hear all the sound effects and stuff. But in real life, man, one minute, if you're not training, it's kind of tough, you know what I mean? You're a little kid, and no, nope, you want, both of you want to quit, you're leaning over each other. No, nope, you, you guys got 25 seconds left. And so you have, you, you have to, because that was his generation, that somewhere you're going to have to deal with confrontation and pain. I'll never forget this illustration. I pulled an illustration out from the book, Roots, which was powerful. It had to do with the manhood training. And uh, this, you know, of course, Kunta Kinte is a fictitious character, but it's, it's based on uh, what they did in his little village of Jefure. And what they would do is they, at a certain time of every year, they would kidnap the pubescent boys. And they would take them into manhood training. You're 12, 13 years old. When you least expected it, someone would come up behind you and put a sack over your head. And then they would take you and they would, they would take the boy and they would sit him down in a place for several hours. Could be like 8, 9, 10 hours and he could not move. They would station somebody there, an older person in the, in, in, in the uh, village. You know, we got ushers like this who, 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 who loved... You know, who would stand by these kids, and if the kid moved or whined or cried, they start beating them with a little little rope bill. <laughs> and so the kid would stay there. And when they finally were ready, when they finally got all the kids and all the, they got all their stuff together, they would round up all these little prisoners, and they would pull them out, and and they would walk them as they pulled them out of their huts, 
All the people in the village, including the ladies, everybody was there pushing on them, you know, getting these little straps. And I mean, they, they were putting up with some stuff and they'd collect all the kids and they would take them out and would train them for six months in all the ways of the jungle. How to survive, how to eat, how to find food, how to, how to detect wild beasts, etc., etc. And you know what their final test was? If you're so far out in the woods, you'd have to find your way home. <laughs> if you found your way home, you were a man. If you didn't, you were probably lunch. But this is what Kunta said, I mean, his character. He said, even the little boys, I, I want you to understand what I'm talking about here, that there are rites of passage to life. There are times when you and I have to learn to prove ourselves. He says, even the little boys knew what would happen to anyone who showed himself too weak or cowardly to endure the training that turned boys into hunters, into warriors, into men. Suppose he should fail. He began gulping down his fear, remembering how he had been told that any boy who failed the manhood training, listen to this, would be treated as a child the rest of his life. You know what? Homosexuals are not men are women trapped in a man's body. They are boys trapped in a man's body. Very dirty boys. He says that he would be treated like a child the rest of his life. He would be he would be avoided, and his village would never permit him to marry, lest he father others like himself. In other words, they understood at least in this context, that, that to be a man meant something. To be a man of God means something. Say, oh God, I want to be a mighty man of God, yet first time someone offends your, 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 your church, your fellowship, speaks against your pastor, speaks against Pastor Mitchell, you recoil. Like, well, maybe I better think about this. Let's, let, wait a minute, let me get my head together on this now. You know, this is part of life, folks. And Jephthah was a very unlikely hero, but God knew exactly what he was doing because he separated Jephthah for that moment to be a warrior. You know what? Another interesting point here that I want to make before I move on is this. Men rally around warriors. How many of us said, brother, I just need some men in my church? You heard that? Now we got some great sisters, man. I just need some men in my church. Men rally around warriors. It says that as Jephthah was out in the boonies, and all the, the, the nice, comfortable people, all the happy people were in the palace, a group of adventurers rallied around. Jephthah. It says while Saul was galloping back and forth trying to control the kingdom, David was out at the cave of Adjulam, 1 Samuel 22, and it said all these men gathered around him, uh, you know, in debt, discontented, all kinds, but they saw something about David. They said, David's a, a, he's a warrior, man. You know what I, I believe? I believe these were also guys that were under some kind of oppression from Saul's government, but they rallied around David because they saw a guy who could fight. And that, that moves men. Men love that. Why do you think Rambo movies are so popular? 
That's no accident. Dirty Harry. Go ahead, punk. Make my day. You know, a man's glued to that. Like, that is so cool. You know what I mean? A guy with a 44 Magnum blowing away a pervert. I can't think of anything more exciting to do. Because, man, we like that image, the warrior, the one that would look the devil in the face and tell him, you're the devil. That moves a man's spirit more than you'll ever know. That's why little boys, where I was watching little Connor last night, Foley, he's got these little army men. He's like, I'm going to be in the army. I think he's stuff. You know what I mean? Just the spirit of a warrior is so captivating, it grabs the imagination. You know, friend, uh, um... I'm not just taking a cheap shot, but you know what, what things like the Promise Keepers break down? You know where it breaks down? It's wonderful. You get a stadium full of men, you know, that show up to hear a football coach talk. That's exciting. You know, I can see, uh, that sounds a little interesting to me, actually. But then they expect those same men who showed up only because the guy was a football coach and they saw him on TV, they expect that same guy to go home back to their these dead churches and follow a eunuch that preaches like he's a correspondent for NPR. Do you see the inconsistency there? It's like, wait a minute, man. They will go to the stadium, but to follow this guy, give me a break. That's the power of our fellowship. You have a warrior. I'm not talking about a fool. I'm not talking about somebody just talking up a big show. I'm talking about somebody that is contending against the powers of darkness, somebody that has learned to defend their minds, that has learned to defend their doctrine, that has learned to stand up for what they believe, face down the gun barrel of the enemy when you were challenged, not give your ground, but go forward in Jesus Christ. And this vision, that draws men. Because men appreciate that. Not all men want to do that, but we appreciate that. <laughs> Praise God. The, the, the truth of the matter is, as I wind down here this morning, is um, in the church world, most men are under house arrest. True. They're either in the doghouse, right? They've been sleeping on the couch, so they came to church. Instead of going hunting, they're they're in the jailhouse, and they know they're going to be standing in front of a judge, so they got to pretend they're good for a while. Or they're in the poorhouse, some things are reversed, some reversals have happened, and they need some kind of support, whether it be emotional or financial. They need some help, but that's it. And as soon as their need is met, and as soon as their obligations are, are, are meted out, they want nothing to do with church. But a warrior draws the man. Sister, I don't know, I, I just want to say this. Perhaps you're a sister here and you, you, you and your husband are part of the fellowship or you're coming, going to fellowship church and you're thinking about this and that. I'm telling you, sister, you cannot buy a husband that will pray, that will follow up, that will serve in the church. He's a rare commodity. Don't kill him.
And here's, here's the final thought, and that is God's champion against the real assault. Now here, Jephthah was under assault, all the little games, all the politics of Gilead. But when they were attacked from the outside, guess who they called to defend them? I want to just make a few simple points here. The Bible's upside down. This is totally false doctrine, man. <laughs> um, and that is, they called the warrior. And this is where I felt God speak to my heart about us. Is that you and I have learned how to stand up. We take assault. We have the, uh, the cult awareness expert. You know... Forget it, I'm not going to even say it. But um, we have people that, uh, that, that challenge us. We have men-pleasing Christians that uh, would embrace us if, they, if, if we weren't uh, so controversial. They know God's with us. They, they, they sense it. They see it. And yet so we stand and we take offense. Our pastor, Pastor Mitchell, takes untold assaults for what we... Is, which, is really very simply a gospel vision to get people saved. That's all it's ever been. I've been going to the Prescott conferences since 1980. That's all it's ever been. But how come then is it such a controversy? Well, as I've spoken already, the devil will attack from behind and before. God also has a plan though. America is going to be going through some heavy things in the years to come. This is not just a, a, this is not a cloud without rain, folks. America is going to be facing some things. You and I, you do not realize it, but as we stand and we simply do the right thing, when these major assaults in our country are loosed against the church, you and I would have been out in the boonies training for it. Much of the Christian world has not been training for that at all. They've been holding on to these grand delusions that one of these days, everybody in the United States is going to be a Christian and we're all going to have one big charismatic conference and wave banners at each other. That they have delusions. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says very clearly things will get worse before they get better. That's, that's always been the biblical pattern. And God is going to use Warriors, warriors are being made. When, when England, beautiful quote last night in, in the uh, uh, video from Winston Churchill. I won't re recount that, mostly because I didn't have access to it. But here, Winston Churchill was despised. He was an outcast. He was half American. He did not fit in with the elite of England. But who did they call when Hitler came knocking at the door? They said, give us a man who can fight. 
And I want you to know there are people in our world that are falling for every lie. They're holding Academy Awards parties. They're trying to live the American experience. But one of these days, they're going to go through something. And even it is already happening, they visit a church. They visit Big Smiley Face. They go to this palace. They go there. They find nothing. And they walk into one of the potter's houses or the door or whatever you call your church. They walk in and they are looking for a warrior. Amen. I want to just say one thing. Pastor Mitchell, I hope I'm not stepping over the boundary. But I just want to say, I feel by my spirit, when I actually read this way back when, when God, you could just challenge me with a simple thought. God's going to vindicate you. He's going to vindicate you. And the way He's going to vindicate you is that there are many young men that you have put your medal in. That you have taught to fight. That in, in, in years to come, when things as the Bible say, begin to develop at an accelerated pace, God is going to raise up men that you have put your medal in, that have your spirit, and that will be warriors, and that will stand up, and people are going to marvel, and they're going to say, where did they learn that? And it's because God gave you this vision, and that vision was faithfully executed. Amen. Let's just give God praise as Brother Doug comes. Thank you.